0: Doug Liman, he's here we're going to talk about where Ohio State should finish up in the final AP poll. Does it matter? But we also have a good uh, survey from Texters on like what you thought of the season. Like, was it a good season? What are the expectations? A little history. I Did a little research about uh, Ohio State's history of finishing the top five and the top ten. I do think some of this stuff matters for history because for instance we're doing of how often Ohio State has finished in the top 5 and the top 10. We're not doing how often have they finished in the top 7. We're not doing how often have they finished in the top 13. So, you know, for a shorthand, we all do round numbers for a shorthand of success. I think it matters and we can talk about whether that's antiquated in a world where with this many opt-outs, bowl games don't have the significance they used to have and yet we're using them to determine a final ranking of a team for history. But let's start, Nathan, with the idea that it seems like the Greg Studrawa replacement is in hand. And it's, I don't know, for lack of a better word, maybe the obvious choice, just because there were some parameters here that lined up in a bunch of different ways that it seems like the answer is leading to Justin Fry at UCLA.
1: So this was a name that I think had bounced around early on. Um, I know it had. Uh, Even before Greg Studrawa uh, had been, the separation had happened because of these lines that you can draw. He'd worked with uh, uh, Brian Day at two other places. He was working under Chip Kelly. A lot of things just made sense in terms of the way that Ryan Day has hired guys in the past. Or really, uh, that's probably even taking that too far. This is how a lot of hires happen. It's guys that you have worked with before. It's connections that you have in the business. So this doesn't come as a surprise if it does get finalized. I was told we're recording this as of 1 o'clock on Friday afternoon. I was told Ohio State doesn't plan to make any sort of official announcements today. So I don't know if this is something that will officially be wrapped up before the end of the weekend but it it certainly sounds like the the rumors that have been out there for a while the, the 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 smoke that there is fire to the smoke that's been out there
0: i do think sometimes with this stuff don't they have to post a job
1: there are some technical things that sometimes you have to bounce through some red tape that has to get cleared from a bureaucratic procedural standpoint yes
0: well, I mean, on some level, ideally, it wouldn't just be bureaucratic. It would be like, hey, we have an opening. We should open it up to all candidates and <laughs> let people express their interest, except we know that's not how coaching sure. works. But actually, sometimes I think it would be better if coaching maybe did work a little more like that.
1: Well, I'm just saying that there's a there's typically a like university-wide procedure that sometimes goes along with job openings that has to get followed, whether you're hiring a defensive coordinator or whether you're hiring somebody for the mailroom.
0: room. Right. Yeah. That you, right. You have, to, you have to post that the job is available and then you have to wait a determined number amount of hours or days until you can officially make a hire. And I think sometimes that's what stuff like this, why it gets leaked to it is, but it's not official yet. Um, Stephen, what do we think? This is a guy whose name came up on the Thursday pod. Uh, he is a, it's interesting. He has all these connections to Ryan Day, but he also started off on the Urban Meyer tree. He was a GA at Florida in 2009 and 2010, but he's also a Big Ten guy. So he, he played at Indiana, uh, was an offensive tackle at Indiana from 2002 to 2006 then was a GA at Indiana for two years. And if you go through his uh, Twitter account, he is still a loyal Hoosier he had some meme about a uh, train collapsing on a bridge after Purdue got ranked number one in basketball and then lost the next game. So out there on the West coast, he could, uh, he could root for the Hoosiers and make fun of Purdue. I don't know if he can do that anymore in the big 10, but Stephen, what do we think of this guy?
2: I think it's, uh, I mean, it's decent. We'll see. It's, it's kind of hard to judge what type of recruiter he is because of the schools he's been at. And, you know, part of being an elite recruiter is like what schools and what brands you're trying to recruit for. It's kind of hard to do that at Indiana and, you know, and UCLA. That's the, those are not, you know, big time, primetime programs where you're just going to be able to bring in a bunch of top 100 guys. So I do wonder, you know, he's got uh, Sean Ryan I is, is, is a number 74 player, number two in um, guard from the 2018 from the 2019 class excuse me that's the best guy he's ever brought in but like I said it's UCLA it's not easy to recruit to a school like that I do wonder what he's going to be able to do now he's got a program like Ohio if he ends up at Ohio State this does get confirmed what he's going to be able to do as a recruiter at a school like Ohio State where you know there are the necessary resources to be able to do this at a high level
1: See, I just texted our people today on Friday about that. Something I'd written about for Friday morning, kind of looking back at his recruiting history. That's the one guy he signed at UCLA that was ranked even in the top 400. Mm -hmm. So I think everything you're saying is correct because you look at most of UCLA's classes in that period and they have a lot of guys who ranked below 400. Like it's not a place that gets marquee guys right now. However, if you're hiring him to replace Greg Studrawa in part because Greg Studrawa didn't land the big fish, then you're hiring a guy who, when he does that, will be doing it for the first time.
0: Right. No, that's all well said. That's all well said. Um, 38 years old, engaged on Twitter, which I seem to care about when we talked about this (laughs) on Thursday. So not surprised, but like he does check like multiple, sort of like he's worked with Ryan Day. He's currently working for Chip, but he's from the Big Ten. You know, that's like a, there's not a lot of guys who I think would would hit, would have the little circles. What's the thing called where you have the circles that overlap?
1: Venn diagram. yeah, Venn yeah. diagram.
0: Yeah, Venn diagram of, like, Ryan Day, associate, currently at a Power 5 program, Big Ten Roots. There's That's not a million guys in there, and he is. So, okay, Justin Fry, it matters. It matters. I don't want to be like, yeah, whatever. It's like, you know, can't do, like, an hour of podcast of, like, they fired this guy. They've got to get a better replacement. Then they get their replacement like, yeah, whatever. I don't know. Who cares? So I'm, I'm not trying to convey that. It's just that it's not it's not a huge surprise. And we don't we don't know a ton more about the guy other than what we just what we just said. But um, has worked Indiana, G.A., Florida, G.A., then Temple, Boston College, then UCLA. And he does have a coordinator title, too. Um, at UCLA along, uh, UCLA along with the offensive line stuff, but like Chip, Chip Kelly. Chip Kelly calls plays, picks the plays, does all the plays. All right, let's talk about Ohio State, where this season is going to finish up. And I sent out a survey, but let me start again, like we sometimes like to do on this podcast, which is Nathan, is the premise of this podcast Irrelevant like where they finish, they didn't make the play in the playoff era. They didn't make the playoff. Then you can decide how important it is to win a bowl. They, they want it in exciting, entertaining, uh, gutsy fashion, comeback fashion. They have two losses, which is certainly not a bad season, but more than Ohio state is used to losing in a year. And so then who cares what number a bunch of chucklehead sports writers assigned to them. Who cares if they're four or if they're seven? Is it is it literally irrelevant or, you know, if everyone wants, as Robert Meyer always said, someone's making a list. We want to be as high as we can on that list. Does it matter?
1: I think the difference between five and six or five and seven maybe is not critical. I think. If you're Ohio State, though, you don't want to fall too much farther than that. I think you certainly want to be able to say you're comfortably a top 10 program year after year after year after year. And you don't want to be, you know, dripping down to like where Notre Dame and Oklahoma are going to be, for instance, at the end of this season or Clemson. Like you want to keep your head above that mark. I think they're going to they're obviously going to comfortably do that this year. I think that is maybe the more important accomplishment than parsing this difference between who should be number five, who should be number six.
2: I think I agree with that. Yeah. If you're not in the playoff, you need to be in the
0: top eight. And I think you're fine. So, do you agree with my premise about like top five, top 10, like shorthand numbers? Sometimes I rail against round numbers, but we do it as a society. You know, people, colleges and high schools don't have a seven year reunion. They don't have a 12-year reunion. They have a five-year reunion and a 10-year reunion and a 25. I mean, like, so finishing top five, finishing top 10, finishing top 20, finishing top 25, round numbers matter. People, you know, is that – so to say, like, there's no difference between five and six, when Ryan Day retires and we say Ryan Day finished – Ryan Day's Ohio State team's finished in the top five in 75% of the seasons that he coached. Do you think it matters to Ryan Day? Do you think Ryan Day, if they finish fifth, will like give himself like a tiny little pump fist as opposed to, because this is the arbiter of that. The playoff ranking there are, people know this. There's no playoff rankings. And so if you're going to do anything for the history books, where you finish, it's the AP poll. Because coaches, bowl, everyone knows coach polls is a joke. So, so this does matter. I, I like history and I like researching this kind of stuff. And I use the shorthand. So I think there is a difference between five and six. But it sounds like you guys don't think that.
1: I don't know that there's uh, – so this is This is going to sound like a contradictory statement. In, in a given year, I don't know that there's a huge difference. I think the context is important there. When you're talking about, though, over a 20-, 20, 25-year period or whatever, and you're looking at the abundance of top five finishes there, I think that does tell you something, that maybe the difference between five and six does start to become important. Steven, do you agree with any of that?
2: Yeah, I, I... – I think it's just because we live in the playoff world. I understand there's no final playoff rankings, but because we live in that world in general, it diminishes the idea of whether you're five or six or not. It just kind of makes it the same thing because it's just, you were the first runner up outside of the playoff or your second runner up outside of the playoff, but both of you are outside of the playoff. If that makes sense.
1: I think that is an interesting way to look at it because there was a long time where um, five had more of a meaning to it but now that we've shifted to like these four teams get to move on then the arbitrary importance of five has been diminished a little bit
2: because even when we go to 12 even when you go to 12 at, at some point it's gonna all right did you make the play then it's really just about did you make the playoff or not and if you're 13 that's a bad season
0: i agree i agree for the most part, I agree that like no one's going to be gnashing their teeth with Ohio State's five or six, like right now. Uh, I still think it matters for history because we, we don't have a way to judge Woody Hayes based on a playoff, right? So Woody Hayes and Jim Tressel and Bo Schembeckler and Bobby Bowden and every like guys like that, you're judging by how by by this arbitrary poll number because that was the judgment. So even though the poll itself doesn't matter as much doesn't matter at all. I mean, I all year I talk about who cares about the AP poll. It's irrelevant. Like, it doesn't matter. It's fun. It's a fun guide that I support having a guide for history so that you can have the matchups in September that say, hey, this is number three versus number seven. And then when you go to the history books and you say, what's Ohio State's record in games where they're, they and their opponent are both ranked in the top ten? If you don't have a poll, you can't do that. So you have to have a way of doing that. And I still think that applies here. So all right, that a lot of that is just sort of how you sort of view history and connect it. Let's talk about, the where we think they are going to finish, because I do think, again, if you don't care, we're going to get to a little bit of like, was this a good season or not? Which I think is an interesting fan evaluation. We're not going to only do numbers, but if you if you literally are like, I can't believe they're having any discussion over number five versus number six, then probably tune out for like 20 minutes. And we'll tell you, we'll shout like if you want to go, like, listen to like uh two or three times speed I'll shout louder than usual. When we get back to the part of like more general goodness discussions, if you had an AP vote for the texters, where would you rank Ohio state in your final poll? This is knowing the Buckeyes were number six in the AP poll at the end of championship weekend behind number five, Notre Dame, Notre Dame lost and ahead of number seven, Baylor Baylor won um, against Ole miss. So Nathan, you said you haven't decided, but you're the only one of us who has an actual vote here. What do you think you're going to rank Ohio State in your
1: final poll? I think Ohio State will be sixth in my final poll.
0: Sixth in your final poll. So that would mean that either Oklahoma State, which beat Notre Dame, or Baylor, which beat Old Miss, would be ahead of Ohio State in addition to the four playoff teams, I would assume. But not both Oklahoma State. And Baylor ahead
1: uh, of Ohio State, unless
0: you were deciding to drop Cincinnati out of the top four for the way they lost in the playoff.
1: No, uh, correct. Right now, I would have Baylor ahead of Ohio State and then Oklahoma State at number seven.
0: Okay. Steven, where would you put Ohio State if you had an AP vote?
1: Yeah, I'd put
2: them six as well, with Baylor being the only non playoff team ahead of them. And it's literally just because they won their conference.
0: Oh, that's fair. But that, but Baylor uh, and the general AP poll was was not
1: ahead of Ohio State, right, Nathan? Correct. Okay, Steve. I don't remember what the final AP poll was. uh, was The last one. I
2: think they were ninth. But hold on, I can. No, I think they were. No, 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 no. no. Uh, in the final AP poll, it was Bama, Michigan, Georgia, Cincinnati, Notre Dame, Baylor, Ohio State, Ole Miss, Oklahoma State,
0: Utah was the top ten. Oh, I'm sorry, I was looking at that wrong. You're right. Ohio State was seven. Oh, I said that. I told the texters wrong. Sorry, texters. Um, So Notre Dame and Baylor both ahead. Okay, so you would have. I think I might have Ohio State fifth because um, they they did not win their conference. That is true. Um, The Michigan team they lost to, uh, I think, was pretty darn good. Even though Michigan got kind of whacked by Georgia. And I do think Ohio State's performance in the bowl was maybe more impressive. Like, how do we factor opt-outs into any of this stuff, right? That it's like, I don't want to take away. I mean, Ole Miss didn't have guys opt-out, but like Baylor beat Ole Miss and Matt Corral got hurt like really early in that game. And, um, you know, Oklahoma State beat Notre Dame and Notre Dame had some opt-outs, including I guess Kyle Hamilton maybe had been hurt, but Kyle Hamilton didn't play. Kyron Williams didn't play. Utah kind of played its full boat while Ohio State had opt-outs. Nathan, like, do you try to factor any of that in to this? Or is that too crazy? And you just try to go by, listen, man, I I know what I thought of you during the year. And then I look at whether you won or lost and I just do my best.
1: A little bit. And I'm not usually as reactionary as some voters are anyway, as far as like automatically dropping someone for a loss. I try to like, you know, taking the context of that loss. So that definitely applied a little bit farther down my list. I just think, though, when you look over the season and who Baylor actually beat, it's it's pretty impressive. I know Iowa State didn't have the season that they were supposed to have, but they beat BYU, which is going to finish the year in the top 25. They beat Oklahoma, which is going to finish the year in the top 25. They avenged a loss against Oklahoma State to win their conference. That's obviously going to be a, a top 10 win. They beat Ole Miss, which might still be a top 10 win. Like, they have... More wins like that than Ohio State does. It's, they just do. And the conference championship, Stephen,
0: you think that conference championship again and like a tiebreaker thing, if you're trying to do a vote here, that matters.
2: Yes. When, as, one, as, you already, as Nathan already pointed out, when their resume is already better, but when they're both 10 and 2, 11 and 2 now with wins in their bowl game, I think a conference championship should be the tiebreaker.
0: Yeah, I'm sorry I messed that up for the texters. I was looking at the wrong thing. Uh, Ohio State was six ahead of Baylor in the playoff rankings going yes. into, but not in the AP poll. Um, so I asked the texters to guess based on faulty information. I'm sure some of them corrected me. They, there's nothing more than like doing than correcting when I screw up the text. I apologize for that. At least I got the forming, the format right this time. Uh, the texters said they number five was the was the highest vote total, 42% said they'd rank Ohio State number five, 37% said number four, 18% said number three, 3% said number six, and only 1% said number seven. Then I asked this question, in your football brain and heart, what do you think Ohio State really was this season as a football team? And the choices that I gave were everything, basically everything down through six. They were actually the best team. They were second. They were third. They were fourth. They were fifth. They were sixth or lower. I do think it is fair. I do think those are two different things. And this, this is, I don't like the neutral field. If they played an imaginary game who would win kind of thing, because we have results that we can go by that should affect our judgment more than neutral field stuff. But this is neutral field stuff. This is not your vote. And I think your vote and your gut or your heart and part of your brain can be different than where you would rank somebody, because I think you have to go by results to some degree. Otherwise, what's the point? We can just let everybody stretch and practice. And then we can just look with our eyeballs and say, my gut tells me where these guys would be ranked. So you have to go by results a little bit. Do you agree, Stephen, on the general idea that this is kind of a separate evaluation or is that am I parsing it too finely? It's like, what are you talking about? You are what you are.
2: No, it's, it is two different conversations because one is what you actually do and one is what your potential is just based off your overall talent, a bit of the eye test. And yes, I, I agree. The neutral field thing is can get annoying sometimes, but when you're having this type of discussion, it does matter. Okay, what if like you don't have to worry about outdoor elements you know what if you're playing on an indoor track where like all all of your talents can be realized all that stuff comes into play then um there's no home field advantage for anybody so that this is a different conversation and i think with ohio, especially this year for ohio state because there's where they would rank in that conversation versus where they're actually ranking based off what they actually did on the field
1: i think the the neutral site conversation is is a fun one we we i don't want to take those out of sports but in order to when you're making this ranking you're coming up with your final you know trying to make a declaration on this season i mean i don't factor that into what i'm doing at all because i think it's got to be about what the team actually accomplished on the field
0: right so where so then what would you guys say i think that's i think i agree with what you guys are saying about that so nathan then where do you think you would if you how would you vote in this just like the more neutral field, what you think your eyeballs and potential and everything tells you, where would you say Ohio State in your heart and gut really was
1: it's it's man it's it's tough because you look at this list and you think, well, they could be Baylor, you think they could be Cincinnati, I think they could be Michigan under other circumstances. I think they'd probably be anybody on this list um but there also did seem to be for the certainly the most of maybe my three years here a big disconnect. Between you know, we would see Ohio State wallop these NC these the lower end of the Big Ten every year, and then I don't know if that next gear ever didn't seem to click in enough in the big game. Michigan State being the exa- example or the the uh, the uh, exception exception, yes. Um, and, and but in in too many other instances that didn't really seem to happen at the level how State needed it to happen, so it's hard for me to say really definitively that they should be like one of the top considered one of the top three or four teams in the country this year is they didn't play like it from beginning to end.
0: So where would you, how would you answer this question then? One, two, three, four, five or six
1: or lower. I get, I mean, six or lower, probably. I can't really say that they deserve to be um, considered a better team than Baylor this year.
0: Steven,
2: where would you put them? Just, simply based off sheer talent and what their upside ceiling was either third or fourth, but I agree with Nathan, what they actually ended up it's who they it's who you think they are versus who they actually are. And they actually are six or lower, but who you think they could have been based off when they did show those flashes, whether it was mostly on the offensive end for most of the season, they're probably third or fourth. And I might lean third just
0: because they're more talented than whoever else you would put in that conversation. I do think it's fair. I mean, I think a fair way to think about this kind of thing, because I'm asking people to think about it this way is, all right, a game is being played. After what we viewed this year, we're going to go play tomorrow and we're going to play Ohio State versus this team. And you got to bet your life. Who would you take? So you would take, so like to me, Nathan, if you say six or lower, you'd take five, like you would bet your life. And again, this doesn't matter, but it's an interesting thought exercise. Well, you would bet your life, like Baylor, Ohio State, they're playing. You got to pick the winner. Who you take it? Yeah. That, that, I, I, I'd take Ohio State. Yeah. Now I would take I, I would answer this question. I would answer this at no worse than fifth. Because I do think the four playoff teams, I think they all could beat Ohio State because Michigan did. And I don't think that was such a specific thing that it had to snow. And Ohio State guys had to have some kind of flu that week and all those things. I mean, I think there are various versions where Michigan with the way they play beats that team beats Ohio State. I didn't think it before the game, but when you watch it evolve, it's like, you know what? There's a lot of that that makes sense to me. I think Cincinnati with that secondary, and, and Desmond Ritter against the Ohio State defense instead of the Alabama defense, I think Cincinnati in a lot of ways would have been a bad matchup for Ohio State because Alabama just gave it to their 240-pound tailback and said, run them over. Well, Ohio State doesn't have one of those, and Ohio State would not do that. They would still try to throw because that's so much – they're so good at that. That's what they do, and then you bring Sauce Goddard and Kobe Bryant and that whole secondary into play, and that would have been the best Ohio, uh, secondary Ohio State faced. And then Bama's defense is better than Ohio State's defense, and Desmond Ritter played terrible, but I think Desmond Ritter would have played better against Ohio State. So I'm not sure that I would take since I, I'm not sure I would take Ohio State against Cincinnati. I think it's close. I'm not. I'm not guaranteed to take Ohio State in that game, though. So if I think of it that way, i take them over Notre Dame. i take them over Baylor. i take them over Oklahoma State. I'd take them over everybody else. I probably would answer fifth here. So that's how I thought of it. But the Ohio State-Cincinnati game, if I'm taking Cincinnati with my life on the line, I'm nervous as heck all game. Same with Michigan. I think Ohio State versus Michigan and Cincinnati, neutral field, normal conditions are probably both, both coin flips. But I think I would lean towards both the Wolverines and the Bearcats because I wouldn't believe in the Ohio State defense. And I don't know for sure that against Aiden Hutchinson and David Ojavo again, and again, or against Sauce Gardner and Kobe Bryant and MyJay Sanders and everybody else that that, that that Ohio State's offense would be able to score at will in a way that would make up for my lack of faith in Ohio State's defense. So I'll say fifth. So does anyone else want to change? I mean, Stephen, are you saying you're you're kind of like at – Georgia-Bama, you definitely take them, and then you're thinking long and hard about taking Ohio State next, which would mean they would be third.
2: Yeah, and it's – it's you might be selling me on fourth. I, the the Cincinnati-Ohio State thing just comes down to, like, I understand, you know, Sauce Gardner and Kobe Bryant are really good. I'm taking nothing away from them. That's the best cornerback tandem in the country. Ohio State also has the best wide receiver trio in the country. So it comes down to, okay, which one do you think wins on that day? Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, or Jackson and Jackson with the Jigmore, or Sauce Gardner, Kobe Bryant, and the Bearcat secondary? And I might lean the wide receiver way just because they're also pairing it with the Heisman Trophy candidate at, at quarterback. Um, and then with Michigan, it's hard. There's so much of why Michigan beat Ohio State that's emotionally based and the idea that it's not even the snow. I don't care about that. You play in the Big Ten. You're going to play in the snow at some point in the year. Get over it. It's that game being at home and Aiden Hutchinson going off the way he did. And Ohio State having so many people who had never played in that environment before. And so they got bullied around all those elements. I don't know if you can bottle that up again especially on a neutral site. And that's why I might lean Ohio. I think it might be a close game again. I don't think Ohio State gets in there and wiped the floor. I would definitely not talk the way I was before the Ohio State-Michigan game where I thought it was just going to be a blowout. But I do think there was so much about that specific game that you have to – that's like lightning in a bottle. You don't get that every time you get on the field. So that's why I would be – I could hear an argument for maybe Ohio State's fourth and Cincinnati's third, but I would
0: still keep Michigan fifth. So – I think it's interesting. I mean, the hard thing is like, well, Ohio State has more good players than Cincinnati and Michigan, right? It's like, well, just go, go by who recruits better. And then Alabama and Georgia, you know, you're kind of leaning on the better guys there. And then Ohio State, you'd be leaning on the better guys with them over Michigan and Cincinnati. But when you see the shortcomings and that again, there's some talent deficits on Ohio State's team. I think it's not only that. Okay. That's not the main thing that matters. I thought it was an interesting exercise. I do want to talk more about this top five thing, then we'll do that next on Buckeye Talk. All right, so I did do a little research here um, about Ohio State in the top five. And I'll ask you guys the same question. Without looking it up, since Woody Hayes took over in 1951 through last season in 2020, how many times in 70 years did the Buckeyes finish in the top five of the final AP poll? So that is the question. And then I asked the texters, I gave them, Um, different groupings, and I'm going to double check my math here. Um, I'm going to, yeah, hold on one more second. Okay. Um, Double checking my math. These are the groupings I gave. How many times Ohio State finished in 70 years in the top five of the final AP poll? Is it between 10 and 20 times? Between 21 and 30? Between 31 and 40? Between 41 and 50? Or 51 or more? In 70 years. So basically like in the teens, in the 20s, in the 30s, in the 40s, in the 50s, roughly. Uh, Nathan, what would you have answered to that?
1: In, in 70 years, I would say in the 40s. Steven, what would you answer for that?
2: I'd say in the 30s, because I'm pretty sure it's like grouped between this like modern era right now. And then like the Woody Hayes era is where
0: most of that is. All right, so I'm going to let that linger for a little bit. I will tell That's you. Exactly right. Top top five is tough. Top five is yeah. traditionally very hard. Uh, the texters, 48% said between 21 and 30. That was their number one answer. 10 to 20 was their second answer at 23%. 31 to 40 was their next answer at 21%. Only 8% thought it was 41 or more. So then... That's the historical thing. Then I asked this question in conjunction with it. Is it fair to say that the standard for Ohio State means the Buckeyes should finish in the final top five every year? And the answers that I gave were yes, no, but top 10 every year is fair. Or no, I'll always allow for a down year here or there. How do you think the texters answered that, Stephen? What do you think One,
1: yes. And I think they significantly
0: significantly. Okay. Nathan?
1: I think no, but top 10 is fair
0: one. Okay. So I did connect these for a reason. And I will tell you that the answer is 27 times in 70 years. Hmm. And I hope my math is right on this. So Woody Hayes, the Woody Hayes era, 10 times out of 28 finished in the top five. That's 36% of the time. Earl Bruce, one time out of nine, the first year when they went to the Rose Bowl and should have won the national championship in 1979. That was the only time Earl Bruce finished in the top five. John Cooper, two out of 13, 15% of the time, two out of 13 in the top five. Jim Tressel, and this is a reminder too, of I think college football changed a little bit, but we often on this podcast talk about sort of like how Urban Meyer changed everything. Jim Tressel, seven for 10. in the top five after John Cooper was two for 13. And after Earl Bruce and John Cooper combined were three for 22 and the top five after Woody Trestle goes seven for 10. That's remarkable. Urban Meyer, five out of seven. Pretty good. Ryan Day, two for two so far. So this is why, again, I mean, maybe it's just Doug shorthand. If you want to rack up on the Doug shorthand scale, you want to finish in the top five. So that's 27 out of 70. But yet 84% of the people said yes. That is a reasonable standard. That's this new standard for Ohio State. Something that has happened less than a third of the time, whatever it is. I mean, I actually, I'll do
1: math. It's like 40% of the time. Yeah.
0: 27 divided by seven. And a lot of that is because 38.5%. I mean, so yeah. You just kind of went into it. I mean, if you take out the
2: 2011 season, which is just wild in general, but uh, since Trestle showed up, they've finished in the top five all but five times. So that's just what you're, it's not even so much as the standard, It's just Ohio State's going to finish in the top five. That's just what you've come to, for it to be. It's like
0: waking up every morning and the sun's out. That's why it's the standard. It's the new standard. It's the new standard of, of this era since Trestle took over. And again, that's more applicable than what happened in 1991, right? When John Cooper's fourth year or whatever. Because mm-hmm. again, again, if you just, I mean, it's sometimes fun to go back. We know this stuff, but you go back sometimes. It's like, oh, look at this. Here's a five-year period where Ohio State didn't finish in the top 25, four to five years. And the year they did finish in the top 25, they're like 24th. It's like, well, that was bad. For a program that we think like is borderline indestructible, they weren't like under five hundred all the time, but they weren't in the mix. They weren't in the mix, but so does eight. Nathan Stevens thought it would be a high percentage of yes. You you guessed no would actually win when you hear eighty four percent saying nope. Top five is the standard. Does that
1: shock you? No, because as as Stephen points out, there's the difference between historical and the present history like current events and current events says Ohio State should be in the top five every year
0: yeah yeah I think that's that's if there's like ancient there's like history then there's like modern history and in the modern era this 25 year period or wherever it is uh this is the new standard so I guess I understand why people um are coming from that so let's get back now now we're going to go back again to the discussion of finishing in the top five or not I will say some of this stuff with the AP poll at the end of the year is a little wacko to me because for instance, in 2015, when Ohio state missed the playoff and Michigan state beat Ohio state head to head, and then Michigan state won the big 10 championship and then Michigan state went to the playoff and got waxed in the playoff and Ohio state beat Notre Dame in the fiesta bowl, Ohio state with the head to head loss to Michigan state and without a conference title, finished fourth in the final AP poll, and Michigan State finished sixth. And it was like like Michigan State got so beaten in the playoff, everyone was like, ah, the heck with them, and they completely gave up on them. Then in 2016, Ohio State does make the playoff. USC finishes with three losses, but wins the Rose Bowl in exciting fashion over Penn State. USC finishes third with three losses, and the final AP poll, Ohio State finishes sixth for making the playoff. And so some of this, Nathan, I, the, I am, I think I am almost at the point, and again, I voted in the AP poll in the playoff era. I can't remember for sure what I did. But I think I probably said, I'm not dropping you out of the top four if you lose in the playoff. Because all making the playoff does is you earn the right to get your butt kicked by one of the best teams in the country. And so to then penalize you, it's like, During the regular season, you did what you're supposed to do to get here, and then you lose, and it's like, ah, you're sixth. I kind of don't feel right about that. Um, This is the kind of thing that I wonder about, like, when you think about Michigan and Cincinnati not competing all that much in their two semifinal games. Like, Nathan, do you think there will be some some voters in the AP poll who will rank Ohio State ahead of Michigan on their final ballot, even though Michigan won head-to-head?
1: Of course. Yeah, I'm sure that'll happen. Um, it won't surprise me if it does anyway. And I, I've, I've tried to factor that into my ballot too, even like farther down, because how much do you want to penalize um, Ole Miss because it got on the same field as Baylor and then lost to Baylor? I mean, especially when they're competitive games. You know what I mean? How much you how much even like Utah? I think I don't think I moved Utah at all on my ballot because it's like, OK, they they got into the Rose Bowl and they went against a team that might be top five caliber. And it came down to a field goal in the final seconds. Like, how much do you really push them down? Whereas maybe there's a team that was ranked below them or or even above them that wasn't in that tough of a didn't have that tough of a bowl assignment. So you, you really have to pay attention to the caliber of opponent. And I think that that sometimes doesn't happen throughout the season with the AP poll.
2: Utah and Ole Miss are two good examples there because they also lost because both teams lost their quarterback in the middle of the game. And if they don't lose their quarterback, we're probably talking about a different result there for both situations. So that's a prime example of one, they play a competitive game Two, context of why they lost that game matters.
0: Yeah. Earning the right to play in a game and then be penalized for losing it is as a thing I don't like about voting, you know, that it's like, Oh, you would have been, would you been better off not having a worse season? So you don't earn the right. So you end up with an easier game that you then win. Like that doesn't seem like the point of this. So, um, but I'm just trying to say, it. I mean, again, like if I'm, we're going back through using the shorthand of top five, 2015, Ohio State does not make the playoff. They finish in the top five. 2016, they do make the playoff. They don't finish in the top five. But it's like, what was a better season? Yeah, that's a whole offseason podcast. What's a better season, 2015 or 2016? One made the 2015 the better team. but What's the better season? Right. It's a different thing. So go ahead, Nathan.
1: No, I was just going to say that that's why when you asked before about the top five thing, over the long run, I think those make sense because some of those things, over the long run, they're important because those things tend to even out a little bit. That the year where you should have been in the top five but weren't, but the year that you shouldn't have been, should have been in the top five, or shouldn't have been in the top five but were, those can even out over decades. But in in a given year, sometimes that variance, it, it's it's hard to put too much Pre, too much prevalence on that year to year like this year like you say Ohio state didn't maybe didn't finish in the top 6 or top 5 but there could be extenuating circumstances and whereas other years they got the benefit of the doubt for something else
0: all right so let's move to sort of the final discussion here which is sort of like was it a good season or not i know over time probably on this podcast, I'm sure on this podcast, we've done it at times. I know it's sort of a popular thing to do. I think like to, to try to deem a season disappointing. it's like, what does disappointing mean? Right. Well, there's, it's what happened compared to what you thought would happen. So I really didn't want to have that conversation. Do you guys like that conversation? Like trying to sort of, okay, they finished with two losses. We know what they did. We know what they didn't do. Was it disappointing? So I didn't, the word "disappointing" ah, it does appear. <laughs> I was gonna say it doesn't appear in either of the two questions that I asked at the end, but it does appear in one of the answers. What do you guys generally think of the disappointing conversation around a team like Ohio State?
1: Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of it either, simply because um, it's it. It all comes down to you know it can all come down to just one game. Like I think it's easy to have a, a conversation about like the Browns and whether they're disappointing or not because they're going to finish under 500. They're not going to make the playoffs. Now, the, even if they were extenuating circumstances to that, you're talking about a 17-game a season where you then advance to a larger round that then determines a champion, and they're not involved in any of that. So I think that's a very easy conversation to have. It's a much different conversation to have when you start talking about, what if they had lost the Rose Bowl, too, which they were on the cusp of doing? That you got, then it's like, well, does that add to the disappointment, or do you just throw that out completely because they're missing some of their best players who decided not to play in the game or in some others who were hurt. So it's it's a much, much more difficult conversation to have in college football with a team like Ohio state. You can have an easier conversation, I think, with Iowa state or um, Clemson or Oklahoma, even because even though some of those teams redeem themselves a little bit over the course of the year, and even though we're judging them based uh, stupidly as, as sports artists always do based on our own expectations some of those teams fell so far off, like North Carolina, like some of those teams were like nowhere close to where people thought they might be this year.
2: I guess with that word, it's how far, far short are you from your, what your preseason expectations are. If your preseason expectation was this team is supposed to be winning a national championship, then yeah, this is a disappointing season, but if it's, this team is supposed to be in a position to make the playoff. I don't know if this is a disappointing season or not. Now, I, I personally think that this is a disappointing season because of the four games that basically decide Ohio State's year season every year. They lost two of them, and one of them was to their rival. So, and that that's got to matter. But I, I, for that, it's as I said before. It's just what were your preseason expectations, and how far off from those were you? Did you end up coming?
1: Yeah, like how many preseason goals do you think Ohio State accomplished as a team this year? Didn't beat Michigan, didn't win the Big Ten, didn't go to the playoff. Like where, where, what were the, I mean, yeah, they had some statistical things that they did. But uh, if you're talking about like what team goals this team would have set out before the year. Didn't go undefeated at home. Didn't, uh, you know, I mean, there's a long list. Like what, what (laughs) what were the things they actually accomplished as a team?
2: The only thing they accomplished this year is what Ryan Day wants every year is that they he wants a Heisman Trophy finalist at quarterback, and that's the only thing they checked off. But even that's not a team goal; that's an individual accomplishment.
1: And it's very subjective too. It's it's yeah. something that's a little bit out of your control uh, because they went from having the guy who one week to go might have been the Heisman front runner yeah. to the guy who finished fourth, and people were wondering why is he even at the finals. So I I think you'd have to call this everything's on a spectrum, right? It, it it that's when it's binary. That's when it becomes hard. I think it's easier to say this was a disappointing season, but I wouldn't put it in the top five most disappointing seasons of the last twenty years. And I'm just pulling names out of my head because I haven't thought it through like that. But like 2015 was this more disappointing than 2015? I can't imagine that. It I mean, that no uh, nowhere close no. to that. So it's it's one of those things where I think almost in retrospect, you get to the end of the year and you look back at this team and say. Well, now, knowing what we know, the deficiencies that turned out to be here on defense that we sort of wondered about, and maybe you had optimism about the solution to those things going into the year, but they didn't materialize. And then Josh Proctor got hurt, etc., cetera, et cetera. Like, you could say this team maybe didn't underachieve that much based on its personnel. But that doesn't mean that the program also didn't disappoint this year because it didn't set itself up to fix those problems better.
2: Is it really that quick of a no? And is this a more disappointing season? I understand, yes that that team was supposed to be a mini dynasty and then supposed to win a national championship. They were the preseason number one team in the country, but they beat Michigan. Oh, this team got blown out. <sighs> That team just got that that team just got in its own way, in a way that we saw Ohio State do two more times in the past two in this past decade. This team was was, this team's losses weren't a result of, oh, we're just getting in our own way. It's a result of some recruiting misses in the past, the coaching being off the quarterback. being all this was like normal losses. But but
0: But it's coaches coaching coaching both. I mean, I actually think there's some similarities in that. Both in 2015 and this season, there was kind of an issue that lingered all year and they couldn't Mm -hmm. get right. So with 2015, it was that they had all this all offensive talent, but they couldn't figure out how to distribute the ball and they couldn't figure out the play calling and the offense never got going in the way it should and that wasn't a talent issue it was almost a too much talent issue and then this year with the defense we all know the issue with the defense but yeah. there was a coaching issue and it's like you you kind of felt that it might be a problem all year and they never 100% got it fixed and so I do think there are similarities at the Michigan point is a very good point I think I still would lead towards 2015 because that team was so uber talented but I have a question about the difference between, and we've talked about it, a season that is, you know, is not what you wanted to be, but with a Michigan win versus a season that's not what you wanted to be, but with a Michigan loss. I do think that's an important distinction, Stephen. Nathan, go ahead.
1: I was just gonna say real quick, I think the biggest difference is this year we thought Ohio State was national championship caliber or at least playoff caliber, based on I think it was a little bit more speculative. I know they've been to the national championship game last year, but enough things were changing. 2015 people thought that because they had just done it and like almost the whole team was coming back. like it was a more proven thing. like not only is this a playoff team, this is the team everybody has to prove they're better than and that wasn't the case of this year's team. So I think that's why the disappointment is again on that spectrum just slides it a little bit different.
2: I think it just might be equal because of that. It's the you're right with that team it's like dude this is the best team in the country, come beat them while this year it's Michigan. I think those two
0: things kind of equal each other out because of the magnitude of what they are. All right. So let's, let's save that last thing, which will get to Steven's point. Let's do this real quickly. However you define it, how would you best label this 11 and two Ohio state season? My choices were, it's a great season. It's a good season. It's an okay season or it's not good. So for guess what the middle two, one, I mean, again, um, the outliers didn't get much attention, but not good got more votes than great. 4% not good, 2% great. And I, I, I understand. I mean, it's, it's really hard to, by the Ohio State standard. it's very, very, very difficult to vote a season like this, where, as you said, Nathan, they hit none of their team goals, to call it great. Uh, Steven, what do you think finished higher, though? Good, which was the second best choice, or okay, which was the third best choice?
1: Okay. Nathan, what do you think? I I think it's probably okay.
0: This surprised me. Much higher good. 62% good. 32% okay. 4% not good. 2% great. Which again, is a thing that's a
1: bowl game boost.
0: That's a bowl game boost. uh, But I also think it is a reminder of that the textures help sort of tamp everything down. Sometimes that 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 there is some realism and some a little bit of understanding. And while the standard is high and the expectations are high, uh, there are times when the texters let us know that, like, well, you know, it's not we're not quite as all or nothing as as sometimes Ohio State fans might perceive or the fans of any great team might be as perceived as being that way. So, again, 62 percent, two thirds of the people saying, yeah, out of, uh, good. Second-best ranking. Clearly not great, but good. I, I, I was surprised by that. And I thought it was a nice bit of like, uh, yeah, we'll head into the off season and people aren't freaking out too bad. All right, last thing, last question from the texters. We'll finish it up next on Buckeye Talk. All right, so this is what Stephen was sort of getting at. And again, if you want to be a tech subscriber, and get to participate in stuff like this, it's 614-350-3315. What is the difference between a two-loss Ohio State season – that ends with a major bowl win but includes a win over Michigan compared to a two-loss season with a major bowl win that includes a loss to Michigan. And I will say two of the choices I gave were a two-loss season is at least somewhat disappointing regardless. That's where the word disappointing popped in. Or a two-loss season is pretty good regardless. So that, like, I'm, you know what? Like, yeah – of course the Michigan game is important, but it's not enough of a differentiating factor to me to vote for one of those. 15% said two loss regardless is kind of disappointing. And 2% said two loss season regardless is pretty good. So that left 83% of the people who were going to say that the Michigan game affected how they viewed a two loss season. And, And here's how I couch that. I said, there's a significant difference between those two things or there's just a difference between those two things right i mean nobody of course it's better if you beat michigan steven you're kind of on this what what do you think one that that two exact same seasons but with a michigan win instead of a michigan loss that's a significant difference or it's just a difference what do you think got a higher vote
2: i think significant difference you know got higher because that's just that's a no-no around
1: here losing to michigan Nathan. Yeah, I think significant one.
0: Fifty nine percent of the overall vote said significant difference. Twenty four percent said there is a difference. Fifteen percent said it's disappointing regardless. Two percent said good regardless. So that's a pretty high vote total for significant difference. And that will I mean, I think it certainly affects the offseason. And I think we understand that at this point that, again, Nathan, if we think about let's just flip. Let's say that Nebraska game just gets wacky and they lose to Nebraska and then they kind of finish up, they go, they do what they did against Michigan state. And then they finish up and follow up the Michigan state impressive win with a good, solid win against Michigan. And you're looking here and saying, man, they lost to Oregon. They lost to Nebraska. That was weird. And everything else is the same. That would be people feeling even better than the people who said this was a good year.
1: I think people say that. But I also think that then you're basically looking at a version of 2015 in a way, aren't you? Like, well, and, it isn't-
0: I, I, you're, up, and you're looking at a version of like 2017 and 2018. But yeah. when they lost to yeah. Iowa and Purdue, people were going to throw themselves off a cliff.
1: Right. But I think even more than 2018, you would look at this team and say with those three receivers. Well, I guess the 2018 offense was obviously pretty great, too. But just like you would feel like this would definitely feel like a team that was worthy of being in the playoff, but, but didn't get there. Even if And then so then does is it the disappointment that comes from that? Does it matter if it's Michigan or Nebraska? I think people would say that today that the Michigan part of it really matters, but I don't think they would feel better about it today if the loss had been to Nebraska. You just wouldn't also have to the, – the the bragging rights uh, or the opposite of bragging rights that your that your rival fans are doing, you don't have to sit in that win quite – that loss quite the same way when it's against Nebraska that you do when it's against Michigan. But it still costs you the same thing in the long run.
2: Scott Frost isn't saying comments like some people that were born on third base and think they hit a triple after the game. That's the difference.
0: That would be bold, Scott
1: so Frost well, Yeah. <laughs> Although, would, would Ohio State still, in that scenario, would Ohio State have won the East? They would have had one Big Ten loss. Michigan State would still have two Big yeah. Ten losses. Uh, Michigan would still have two Big Ten losses. They'd still go into the Big Ten championship game, winning that, that most almost yeah. assuredly. Yeah. That and makes... then, so it's one more win you're and then yeah so I, I don't know and then Michigan's not in the playoff I mean then you're putting yourself in the playoff I mean I don't know I guess that would be better
2: it just no. makes it the 2017 season where you lost the non-conference you know top 15 right. game and then you lost to a, a Big 10 West team but then you still accomplish all your goals which is the, which plays more into why the 2 lost season with one of the losses being
0: the Michigan being significantly worse so I do think in the end this is i don't think we'll do a poll question on this or a whole pot on this or anything it's like what's the best kind of of loss for Ohio state the the best kind of loss is to a good team that's not your rival right that's the best mm-hmm. kind of loss that it's like you can say man i, I mean there been, I, I would have been nice for high state to win that game but there's no shame in losing to that team um they don't i mean like they don't want to cross but also like not in a national championship cuz like that's what happens a close loss. The best kind of Ohio state loss is a close regular season loss to a non-rival highly ranked team. That's a very specific subset. But Like the last time that happened, Baker Mayfield tried to plant a flag in Ohio state. and people wanted to go to war. They hated that loss. But then I do think as much as we, and it's like Nathan, it's like Steven too, you guys got here like the number one topic when you guys started was Ohio State like, was like the Purdue loss, right? On top of the Iowa loss the year before. And like how people are like, now everybody's like, you're looking for that loss, where is it? We talk about that all the time. People hate those kind of losses. Those losses haunt you. So it's like, I mean, I still think an Ohio State fan would take that kind of loss compared to losing to a good Michigan team, which is what this loss was. Because um, losing to a bad Michigan team, it's like it's both those things happening at once. But like to lose to a good Michigan team, you can understand it, but it's your rival and you hate it. But man, is we can't act like to your point, um, Nathan. I guess in the end, you would have rather lost to Nebraska than Michigan, but there would be something haunting about that. Con- I guess I can't lose in the end. Thanks for joining us. Ohio State can't lose, but I do. I I, I do think there's a. In the end here, Nathan, there's a little more perspective, I think, in some of these survey results than maybe we necessarily would have anticipated that I think Stephen makes a very good point about how much different the Michigan loss makes a season, but still in the end, I'm going to remember that two thirds of these people said, yeah, pretty good. I think that's something to carry into the off season.
1: Yeah. And part of what happens, you you do have to, when you're a house state every season, you should be a national contender. So you can't, when you fall short of that, I don't think you can just dismiss it, especially when you had the weapons that they had. However, now it's sort of up to them. I don't want this to be too much coach speak, but it is sort of up to this program to say, okay, the the, the playing time that JT Tuomolo and Jack Sawyer got this year, or the way that this season ended for these young receivers and CJ Stroud and what Trevon Henderson did this year, like what does all that mean for 2022? Can you go take that experience and make it, the solution to 2022 instead of whatever the problems were in 2021. I think that's where you, you ultimately also still judge this season. Like if, if this season seemed like it was just a little bit behind schedule, does next year seem ahead of schedule?
0: Okay. I think that'll do it. I think we'll come back next week and do some like awards for the season. And I think that'll probably be, Um, the end of season seven of Buckeye talk. And then I can see the week after that state of the program projecting depth charts. Some point along the way, we're going to be reacting to the finalization of the coaching staff. We're going to be reacting to getting to talk to Jim Knowles for the first time. Uh, But I, I, there's a couple more wrap up things I would like to do. Uh, We'll have the national championship game on Monday. I made my pick with Shahan Jayaraja on the college football survivor show that went up Wednesday wherever you guys can find podcasts. Why don't we get your picks here? Steven, you got a vibe on Georgia, Alabama and what you're thinking about this game. Alabama. I, I don't know how he's
2: doing it, but Saban has convinced his team that they're underdogs in this game somehow. Um, but then also I do think we see them just get back to the offense that they had, the first, you know, 14 weeks, of, the first 13 weeks of the season where they're throwing it around. Samson Williams is going to be 150 plus yards, even if they don't have John Metchie in this game. Uh, Will Anderson might going be getting pressure on Stetson Bennett all, all all, night. I just think Nick Saban still has a hold on Kirby Smart, that he's not been able to get over that mountain yet. I don't think this is a season he does it, even if it's. I do like the way Kirby Smart handled the, the semifinal, though. He didn't use that opportunity as a chance to celebrate because he knows what he has to face next. But I just think, you know, Bama's got too much for Georgia and Saban still has this hold on him that he's not able to get over. Nathan, what do you think?
1: We'll not be surprised if Georgia wins, but if I was putting money on it, I would really like Alabama getting, I think it's about two and a half right now.
0: It's hard. Like, who do we think is the do we think Bama's the better team by now? That with Bryce Young and Jameis, but like, also I think Georgia's gotten a little healthier. I think since their game, I mean, at least the continuing slight comeback of George Pickens. While Bama's less healthy, they lost John Metcchie in that game. Josh Job, one of their starting corners, is out. Um, they have a little, little, little dinged up on the right side of the offensive line. Steven, like I, I completely understand what you're saying about the Sabin Kirby smart thing. But do you think that Georgia might have like more good players or have a more one through 22, like better one through 40, better football team? It's just the Saban factor.
2: I think Georgia is the better team. I just think Alabama's better at the two most important spots. And that's they have the better coach and they have the better quarterback. And that's why. They win this game. They might not even, they're not going to blow. I don't think it's going to be a blowout. I just think that's the difference between Georgia winning and Alabama winning by 10.
1: Yeah, I don't, I don't, don't, I'm not as, I don't feel as strongly about that as Steven does, but I follow that logic enough that again, I think I would take Alabama getting points. It's hard not to take Alabama getting points against anyone short of like most of the NFL. You know what I mean? Like who are you not taking Alabama and the points against?
0: Yeah, it is weird. I mean, I think Bama showed enough times this year, like they're not a they're not a great team, but they might be a great team like in this moment, in this situation um, against this opponent, right? That, you know, like almost lost to LSU. But I agree with what you guys are saying. Doesn't mean I agree with the pick. You'll have to go listen to the other show for that. But I agree. I think you guys are looking at it in a smart way. All right. Thanks to you guys for making Buckeye Talk. Part of your college football week again, I'll start sending out some texts over this weekend. We'll get some categories, we'll get some nominees, we'll get some voting. We won't do five pods of awards for this season. We'll either do like maybe two of them, or maybe we'll sprinkle in award stuff through what else we're doing with the pod next week as maybe different news comes along and that kind of thing. One thing we, I know you guys are going to hit a recruiting pod. At some point next week, we have not talked on the pod. I realized Nathan about the uh, transfer of the Oklahoma
1: state safety. Do we want to touch on that real quick or should we save that? We were planning to touch on that on the recruiting pod that became the Greg Studrawa just got let go pod. So you're right. We haven't talked about that. We can, we can definitely talk about that real quick if you want to.
0: Yeah. Why don't we jump in and do that? Go right. It's a a guy with a three-star recruit, but started at Oklahoma state last year for Jim Knowles. What's the deal, Nathan?
1: Yeah. So Tanner McAllister was a you know, multi-year starter at what they called strike safety at Oklahoma state, which is essentially a safety corner hybrid. So think about him, you know, he's a box safety. He's a cover safety slot cornerback, whatever Ohio state would call him. And we'll see what they call it under the Jim Knowles thing. But uh, as you know, people on Twitter were like, Oh, is he going to come in and challenge Josh Proctor to start? I'm like, no, 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 no. This is a different position. Like this is going to be more of an in the box guy. And maybe this is the guy who just takes, the Marcus Williamson spot as the starting cover safety next year. I think that's in the cards. I also think it's in the cards that he's not better than the safeties Ohio state has that, you know, what Jim Knowles did at Oklahoma state in large part was notable because he did it with the kind of talent that he did it with. They were the, you know, the number four, as of now, total defense team in the country. And it was all three-star guys and all veteran guys, like someone like, uh, McAllister. So I think it sets up for, I, I, I would not assume that he comes in and starts for Ohio state next year. I think he should have a relatively big role, but we'll see exactly how they decide to line guys up. Cause if you think Proctor and Hickman go in as like sort of presumptive starters next year, even in a three uh, safety setup, then I think there are decisions to make. Do you want someone more like this on the field? Do you want someone more like Court Williams on the field? We'll see how well and how quickly Lathan Ransom comes back from his fracture. But there's a lot of sort of unknowns with that group. I don't think they went into this offseason with safety as like a critical thing that they needed to add through the portal. I could tell you, we could name other positions that we thought were maybe more urgent. But it's a good, at worst, a good insurance policy and maybe – he becomes like the next like one year rental who turns out to be a nice boost at a position where he can get on the field and play a lot.
2: I might assume that he, when we get out there to watch spring practice, he's running with the ones at cover safety, just because, I mean, Lathan Ransom's got a broken leg and Cameron Martinez is, is still coming along there and maybe not even at that position anymore. Cause yeah. he was uh, repping at free safety at some point, but it's just, it's a good guy to have when you've got a new defensive coordinator who knows the scheme already, and that might give him a leg up in the spring. But then once we come back in the fall, whether it's Latham Ransom, whether Cam Martinez is back or whoever, he's not the starter when we get to fall camp, but he might be with the ones in the
0: spring.
1: And maybe it's a thing where they rotate four guys through three spots, depending on yeah. what they're seeing from an opponent, too. I mean, there, there's some flexibility here, and he seems like a fairly versatile guy. Although, again, I don't, he's not going to be, I don't believe, a free safety. It's going to be a guy who plays in the box.
0: Yeah, I'm just uh, I'm loath to talk too much about it until we get a handle from Jim Knowles on what they want to do. But I, I do, I I think maybe it's just it's a more of a Court Williams conversation at this box position than than a <laughs> what we've been thinking about with Lathan Ransom and Marcus Williamson, and that it's it's really more about Court and other guys with safety skills that you want to put in the box. I'm not like. I, I, it's fine. I mean, like, it's fine. I, I agree with the idea of let's not assume this guy's going to come in and start. Like, I'm not a huge fan of – this is Ohio State. They hired this guy from Oklahoma State because he did a really good job at Oklahoma State, and they went to get the best coach they could find. And that part of the answer is like, I'll fix it. I'll, how do you going to fix defense? Let me tell you. I'm going to bring some Oklahoma State talent with me. It's like, oh, that's the deal? Like, that's – really? That's like – you know what I mean? Like, yeah. that's, that's not the issue. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. hey, I got I got some hard nosed uh, three star recruits that are going to revamp Ohio State. It's like, okay, well, yeah, there's a bunch of five star guys coming in too. You know that, right? So, like, yeah. I
1: you know, yeah, it's fine. But and this guy hasn't been like a all Big Twelve performer. You know what I mean? Like he's been yeah, a, he's been a productive I know. <laughs> guy. <Yeah>. So <laughs> I, I just want to make sure fans like don't. It's kind of the same thing as we were talking about earlier with Fry. It's like just because it's new doesn't necessarily mean it's Great from day one.
0: Yeah. I did have I did have somebody who's one of our listeners who uh really follows and knows Northwestern football who reached out and said Brandon Joseph wasn't that good this year. So
1: after I was like, I'll take Brandon Joseph, he's
0: like, I don't know. But um anyway.
1: Well so, I think this I think this transfer this this transfer in takes them out of Brandon Joseph. I mean yeah, they just don't have the, the same numbers posi- to keep adding safeties.
0: Yeah. It's the same position that you know. No, so. I well I know, and it's just but it's like Okay, like Brandon Joseph again is the priest was our preseason Big Ten defensive yeah. player of the year, but they got the Oklahoma state guy who, like, you know, is going to be able to joke it around was... with Jim Knowles in practice. But you, you know, he's fine. I, I, don't know, it's fine. But I don't get don't don't think he's the solution to the defense. I do. I don't assume he starts. I think it's a is a good way to uh, to think about that. All right, we'll be back next week. Thanks to you guys for listening. For Stephen Means and Nathan Baird, I'm Doug Maurice. And that was Buckeye Talk.